Hello, everybody. It's um, December 2nd, 1 p.m. Central European time. Uh, today's guest is Marcus Omer with Round 2 Capital. Looking forward to talking with him. Uh, this will be our last show. We're going to do it at 1 p.m. Our next shows will be at uh, 6 p.m. Uh, so the next show will be on December 6th at 6 p.m. Central European time and will also be available um, that way on North American hours as well. Real quickly, before I introduce our guest here, Marcus Omer, uh, who I'm looking forward to speaking with with Round 2 Capital, just wanted to take a moment and um, share some things that I thought were kind of interesting in the news, just kind of a up and down, and it kind of fits in with what we're talking about right now. So there was one article here, Winter is Coming. And I thought this was really interesting because this is one of those doom and gloom renters. Hold on. How is the, let's ask the audience here, how's the sound? Um, so we have this doom and glue article here about the industry technology, and these are all really mature companies uh, post scale up. But uh, it's interesting, they, they talk about Meta, which is formerly Facebook. And so they're doing big layoffs here. Of course, they did a big uh, bet on, um, I don't know what it is. Oh. Reality, I, I don't know what they call it, virtual reality stuff. Uh, Twitter, of course, we all know about the Twitter saga. Really interesting. Elon Musk bought the company for $44 billion. Uh, be interesting to see whether that was a good bet or a bad bet. You know, Elon's really smart guy, very successful person. Uh, I don't want to root against him, but uh, it seems like if Twitter was going to have made money, there was a lot of people that worked on that for quite a few years, but we'll see how he makes out. Um, Salesforce, cash cow, but where does the growth come from in the future? So maybe a, that's a challenging environment for them. Microsoft is a company that really succeeded well uh, in transforming itself from a pure player software company to more of a cloud player in the 90s and 2000s. I'm not too worried for them. Netflix in the content business, um, tough business to be in, especially you have YouTube content, which you know a lot of their makers make for free. So we'll see how they're able to make out. I, I don't worry about them. I, I guess all these companies I have mixed feelings about whether they'll be successful or not, or be able to turn things around or not. One thing I'm certain of is a lot of these people that are coming uh, up or leaving these industries are gonna be fine. Uh, they're going to go on and start other startups and be part of the next generation of technology. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, too, because on Deal Room, they had a really fascinating uh, report that they put together. And I really recommend Deal Room. I think it's and so they're talking about uh, which doesn't seem to want to come up here. The next generation of tech and ecosystems. So this report is too long to go into into deep depth. But I think what they're looking at is an ecosystem. What is an ecosystem comprised of? Well, you need talent, you need innovation, you need enablers and capital. And what we're seeing now is that all this Silicon Valley was the first place to really bring this together. And now this is spread to the four corner of the globes. And I think what's interesting about this is that the one thing they mixed is you need culture here as well. So you need a culture of people that look at problems the same way. And, and that's really the unique things about tech is that um, we have a common tech problem-solving culture around the world now. 
which is really unique. Uh, and of course, which is really good because we're facing global problems as well. So we need people that are like-minded, that feel empowered, that share the same uh, approach, kind of lean mythology to uh, putting things in place, good processes and overcoming things. So I think the one thing that there is, of course, it's really hard to measure culture, but we have this worldwide culture um, that's available now. And, and so then I think what's interesting now is that everywhere around the world, we're seeing value being built. So it could be second tier cities in India, uh, Montpellier, where I live, is kind of a second-tier city in France, has a huge um, startup system. So this startup ecosystem, as long as it keeps growing, as long as we're feeding it young startups with great innovative ideas, which may not become unicorns, but they'll go on maybe through M&A to become parts of other companies, or they'll give people their first experience. This is all positive contributions. Um, so I thought this was really interesting. Um, and once ecosystems get going, they're very difficult uh, to destroy, but not impossible. So I just thought that was really interesting. I highly recommend you read uh, the Steel Room Report. Super fascinating. Um, and they talk about what are the next cities coming up? Um, who's likely to have the most growth and why? Uh, and so I think this is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and then there's like these little boutique countries and regions or cities where for no reason what, it's hard to say exactly why, but they seem to just lead the world on innovation. The one other thing I want to point out about this is something that I think is kind of misunderstood, which is, of course, we talk about technology and they talk about um the important technologies coming up that these things that happen, AI, the cloud, mobile, the web, personal computing, all these trends that led to thing. These are all technology trends. And as important as they are, I don't think we should underestimate something like reoccurring revenue, what the SaaS business model did for innovation to move investing in software from CapEx to OpEx and how important that was and how that's going to carry over into other aspects of our economy as we develop. Okay, that's enough for me preaching today. Um, I get preachy sometimes. Let me, uh, let me pull in my guest here. Oh, Marcus. Hey, Steve. How are you? Hi. Okay, hold on. Let me just double check because sometimes we have sound problems. It looks like my sound Thanks is good. Asking. Let me make sure. How is Marcus's Austria sound? Let's see if we can get someone just to make sure we aren't talking into a blind. Uh, oh, yes, we've got good sound. I'm starting to figure out all the technical <laughs> challenge. Perfect. Um, they, they say they, they can hear your lovely voice. That's, that's quite a compliment. Um, listen, I thought it was interesting. Those two pieces of content, they're kind of two sides of a coin. And what I liked about that is it kind of gave us a chance to step into we can't see him though. Oh, I always forget something. How's that? That's that should be better. Now that they can see you and hear your, they can see your lovely face to go with your lovely voice. Um, in, in a lovely, very simple white room, not very ostentatious. No, for, we, uh, we just moved into a new office space. Um, okay. So we're still decorating here. Unfortunately. Good. Yeah. Uh, you're still decorating. Well, good. Don't spend money needlessly right now. Everyone's saying, hold on to your capital. So listen, uh, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Round Two Capital Partners? Yeah, um, yeah. I started out with Round Two Capital um, back in twenty 
2018, so the company was founded um, in, in 2017. I joined them back then as an intern um, when working with the partner team and management team you know, for five years. I'm currently in the role of an investment manager. Uh, we just recently closed our second fund, um, which brought the company's assets under management under over 100 million. And what, what's the interesting part about round two is that we um, were the first revenue-based finance provider in Europe. Um, so we brought this different angle to how to finance SaaS companies, especially B2B SaaS companies in Europe uh, to the market. Um, I think as most of you already know, um, the market has grown rapidly since then. Uh, new players entering the market uh, like Capchase, Uncapped, and that was also very good for us um, because in the beginning it was a lot of educating the market from our side of what is this new funding methodology, um, never heard about it, and we had to answer a lot of questions. And competition for us was really great um, during, yeah, over the past two, three years as there was actually like everyone was educating the market. And now I think is finance has actually become a very common um, method to, to fund software as a service companies. And I think this will even accelerate further in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I actually didn't know anything about this space. I just discovered this space at um, SASDOC. Oh, really? In, in Dublin. So I didn't know anything about this. And so you were, you and a CEO of another um, revenue uh, financing company were my kind of first introduction into this space. So I didn't know about this. And I think that's what kind of interested me is that there seems to be a growing appetite uh, and supply for alternative models for financing growth. Yes, uh, I think so. Especially like what's the beauty about stuff as a service business models is that they have recurring revenues. And if we look back in history, so um, bank loans were built for the tangible economy, for industrial economy, you have something you, you can use as a, as a visible and physical collateral. Mm-hmm. And now banks are not very able to lend against uh, intangibles. And this is where the beauty about software as a service um, business models with recurring revenues because recurring revenues are actually secure, more secure than, in our opinion at least, than tangible assets because they're actually already monetized. Um, and so we started out to land against intangibles, um, which is, yeah, called term uh, revenue-based finance. And I think it's a very, very beautiful model because now companies without any assets or let's say very few, as few assets uh, can actually um, get funded uh, with loans or get access to a new funding approach, which don't dilute them. Um, and there is also, yeah, it's, it's just something, it, it brings a new angle to how to fund growth uh, or software companies uh, besides equity. Yeah, I think I I think it's really interesting. You know, if if having worked with a lot of different founders, founders are always adverse to the idea of giving up equity because oftentimes that's synonymous with control. Um, and as soon as you do that, you've got to there's give and take with the investors, and and it it's, it can be really challenging. Um, and then at the same time, um, I I just I the 
the reoccurring revenue model, it just keeps giving and giving and giving um, to our industry. Um, so it's really interesting. Not only does it help you acquire, I mentioned that in the preface to what our conversation helps people you acquire the business because you're moving from CapEx to OpEx, but also now, it, I mean, I would be, like you said, less risk adverse to investing in a SaaS company with a reoccurring revenue model than someone who has more of a, a, a traditional revenue model where it's feast or famine uh, and you go away. So how much money, can you repeat how much money you guys have under, under advisement? Is it like a hundred? Uh, yeah, it's 150 million, yeah. 150, and are you, are you raising more? Or are you uh, actively yeah, we, we're more? still raising. So we just uh, had the first closing on our second fund. Uh, so the vehicle overall mm -hmm. will be 100 million. Uh, we just closed at 62 million. Right. And we are, we are still raising. So we have now had the pleasure to work with the first fund with about 25 companies. Uh, we now scale our efforts to support more and more founders throughout Europe um, to grow uh, without dilution. Okay. And what about the typical companies are, that you in, engage with? Are these companies that are in the scale-up phase? So they're really looking to roll out and drive growth at a much larger scale? Or can these be smaller companies as well? So I think there are different ways how you can structure a revenue-based loan product. Uh, how we designed the product is that it perfectly fits for companies with between 5 to 50 million in AR. Um, so mm -hmm. the minimum AR level for us is 3 million. Um, yeah. But we can also go up to if companies have like 20, 30 or 40 million. It always just depends on how much funding they require. Uh, because like typical a ticket size for us is a revenue-based loan uh, is around 2 to 10 million. Um, mm -hmm. So we start at a minimum for us is a million uh, ticket size. Uh, but we can scale with the companies. And I think that's also the beauty about it is that we often we start out um, to, to fund a small amount of the, the AOR. Um, and as the company grows and the AOR increases, we can increase the revenue-based loan. Uh, so we can constantly help the company to accelerate their growth, uh, which... Yeah. So it's almost like a revenue-based loan line of credit where you can just call on it. And as long as things are going well, you can go back to the well. Uh, yes. Um, it, it's an increasing line. Uh, but a, a line yeah. always means like, you, you can draw down uh, as you like. Uh, we we mm -hmm. rather say, okay, let's start out with, let's say, a 2 million ticket uh, and everything yeah. goes well. Um, we, we just see, okay, how everything goes. Maybe you need a little bit more. Um, so we can also increase it then to 4 million, 5 million, and so on. Um, so uh, companies that you're working with, by the time they get to you, do they have a CFO or can they be pre-CFO stage? Um, I think if you look around this, where we start out at 3 million AOR, um, most mm -hmm. companies are either currently in the face of looking for a CFO or they already yeah. have a CFO. And their financials, are companies, are financials at your level, are they pretty homogenous? Are you able to clearly understand their chair and their revenue and all these other things? Because one, one, thing, one thing I've been noticing, for example, I've been following a guy who works a lot on um, profit and loss statements for how to organize those for SaaS companies, and he runs a whole kind of academy around that. Um, and so is, just is it very clear and understandable that most of the, the financial, financial statements you guys receive by the time they get to you? Uh, yes. So it, it, or it depends, I think it's the right answer. Um, so if you just look at the financial statements, 
Um, you get um, from like the annual financial statements. I think our system is currently not fully adopted to, to software as a service companies to really reflect this in their numbers. Uh, but most companies at this, this stage already have actually found a quite a good way to track their numbers, um, which also helps us a lot. Uh, but sure, it's for us, it's a lot digging into the numbers, understanding um, what is really churn, um, was actually just people who moved or customers who moved to different tier. Um, also, what was the net retention rate here and to fully understand that, to understand where is the growth really coming from, how the unit economic structure. Um, it, it's very varying from company to company uh, as also the, the products are different, the sales models are different, pricing models vary. Um, so I think every company is very, very unique in this aspect. Right. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it's such an interesting space. And um, it's Are there, you might, you'll definitely know this space better. Are there other alternatives to financing that you've seen besides uh, financing future revenue that are coming up that you've, that you've noticed on your radar at all? Maybe you could help us understand this space a little bit better. Um, so you mean on the debt side or in, in general? Just, just, I mean, I mean, there, I've always seen people, you know, for equity, you can give up part of your company for equity. And now I've learned about this revenue model. Are there other financial uh, financing models that are coming up that you're seeing that are more active with the change of the economy? Um, not that I would be that much aware of. Um, okay. I was like, especially in, in the software sector. I think what, what we also witnessed that uh, I was actually also surprised like you were at uh, SaaS uh, to see how present revenue-based finance has become uh, in, in this environment. Uh, because like thinking back when I started out in, with Round to Capital back in 2018, no one knew about um, revenue-based finance. Everyone was like, okay, is it like, fa uh, is it like factoring? Is it like mezzanine? Everyone tried to fit it somehow in, in their, um, in some bucket, but it's actually right. a unique way to, to fund software as a service companies. Yeah, that's kind of how the human brain works. The first thing we do is look for something to compare something existing with that we know that's a no thing. It's kind of the simplest way to understand a thing, but yeah, it really is a new model. And, uh, I think it's exciting because it's growing up everywhere all at once. How quickly are you able to turn around terms and make a decision? Because that was a lot of the companies, that's what they're promising is the ability to turn around and get financing uh, to the partner really quickly in like 48 or 72 hours. And I thought that turnaround time maybe sounds like best practices or when everything goes perfectly, but it's still very impressive to think that it might be under a week or something like that. Yes, and I also, I, I'm not sure how good the due diligence is um, at this point. So for us, it takes between four to six weeks uh, to yeah. from first contact to closing, uh, which I think is still very, very fast, especially if you compare it to equity transactions. And so, but it, it, it takes it takes me three months to buy a house, so I consider that yeah. pretty fast. So. Yeah, and I, I think is it, it takes thorough due diligence, like especially if you talk to companies with, 3 million plus in, in revenue. Those are quite complex companies often having subsidiaries in different countries, um, having 50 plus to 100, 150 employees already. Um, there is, I think, a lot of 
things already involved and a, a certain degree of complexity uh, you cannot automize as of today, uh, in my opinion. And so it just takes some time. And also, if you then have to, to structure the product in a way that is tailored really to the needs of the company, um, I think it's a little bit, it takes a little bit more, more time to, to have a thorough due diligence there. Uh, what might make sense, and this is also, I think, how the, this really quick deploying or like assessing companies work is like they start to invest in companies that have maybe 100,000 in AOR uh, or 500,000, and they make do very small tickets and they just deploy capital to, I don't know, like a thousand companies uh, and more like a VC and hope that maybe 10% of them succeed. Uh, somehow and make up for the return of the others and have really like this broad and diverse um, distribution. We rather do larger tickets um, mm -hmm. with a more thorough due diligence and work with less companies because we also more actively involve with those companies. Yeah, yeah, quality. I, well, I think especially given where the market's at right now, a flight to quality isn't a bad idea. Yes, and I also like um, think this is also very interesting. You you asked me um, also it's also like what what this has changed uh, for us in the past year and how how we look at companies and everything. And the interesting thing is like not a, not a lot to be honest. Uh, not a lot. Um, That's funny. Because for us, like we always since we started out and how we we designed the product, we always looking at B two B software as a service companies. Uh, with a really crucial product for the customers, so something you don't throw out of the window uh, just because you you can because you can substitute so that easily. Um, mm -hmm. So those those are very sticker products, um, and those also. And the other thing part is like that's one product, and at the same time we we don't finance cases with a hundred two hundred uh, percent burn. Uh, we rather look at companies that are preferably bootstrapped and also around break even, or at least have a clear pathway to break even. Um, so yeah. current turmoil in the market is actually not a big issue for us and our, also our portfolio and our funding approach, uh, because those are solid, solid companies. Yeah, it, it's really interesting um, because everyone I talk to in the industry who's on the investor side says, that they're looking for companies that are more responsibly, that are growing more responsibly. And, and a lot of these companies have bootstrapped. And um, it's, it seems like the reaction to a lot of people who are starting SaaS is like, we've just got to be more autonomous and do more with less. And, and um, it's, it's, it's really interesting time to see what's happening in the market. And I, I think it's going to be interesting. The startups that are starting right now, um, it's going to be interesting to see their DNA in a few years, um, because I, I think in some ways it's never been easier to start a company from a technological standpoint, but also the amount of skills that you need to have pretty good mastery over, pretty impressive as well, but um, shipping things. So, so not too much has changed. Did you notice any big changes, any big, um, at, you were at SAS Talk, that's where we met. Did, did you notice any big changes there? How people were communicating, how people were talking and how people were positioning? Um, you so I think it was a lot about the the impact of the current year. So COVID now the war in Ukraine, 
um, energy crisis and also how this impacted also the, the equity market and how costs for equity increased a lot. So, mm-hmm. um, so that is also, I think it was a lot I took from Sastag is the people were more concerned about like, yeah, how do I get actually funding for the next couple uh, of months? Um, so mm-hmm. can I somehow extend my runway? Can I get to profitability um, to, to really get through this current phase? Um, I think that is uh, a lot what, what has changed and that's also bring, what was very interesting to see because that just brings a lot of people to look for uh, different uh, funding approaches. Right. That's the, that's the thing is, is also when you talk with founders, when you, when you take investor money for a round of equity in your company, it's a full-time job. I mean, often as a founder, you want to be working on sales and marketing and other strategic initiatives. And then at the same time, you're trying to work with investors and line up your financing. That's critical that you can just continue operations. And a lot of times they'll tell you that's like a full time and like not like an eight hour job, a full time, like 10 hour a day job. Um, And so that's a lot of resources to get to. So if you can, if you have revenue and you can use that to build your business and you've got that, you can extend your runway or, or, um, not have to be so involved with investors. That's very advantageous. Uh, I think the other thing I noticed that, that people kept coming up as one of the things people were talking about, uh, customer acquisition costs too. Um, and that customer acquisition costs continued to go up and up and up. And I think that's because of more competition in the marketplace. And at the same time, we have customers and our prospects are more and more, they're informing themselves so that by the time they get to your website, they've actually made... 80, 90% of the journey of becoming your customer and they're just looking for confirmation about things that they've, they've read or assumed about you. But customer acquisition costs seems to be a big thing and, and people really laser focused on how can we acquire customers with the fewest resources possible. That seemed to be one reoccurring uh, conversation that just came up over and over and over again. Um, are you active in, which regions are you guys active in? So we, all over Europe. Uh, for for now, you. we have invested in eight jurisdictions, so we have a strong focus on the Dutch and Nordics region. Uh, but we've mm-hmm. also done investments in France and the UK. Um, also, this year we did our first investment in the Netherlands. So, yeah. but we, yeah, we are expanding, uh, and we also okay. opportunistically enter new markets in Europe. And will will you expand outward from there? Are you planning on being active in North America and in Asia, or are you going to stay with you? So for now, for the second fund, uh, we just closed it uh, two months ago, and this will be now deployed in Europe. Uh, But let's -hmm. see what the future brings. Apparently, a quick one out, your hot take on this. Apparently, Morgan Stanley loaned Elon Musk a good chunk of the $44 he needed to buy Twitter. Is that a good bet or a bad bet by Morgan Stanley? <laughs> ah, that's... I, won't, I, won't, I won't tweet this, okay? I won't tweet this. Uh, that, that, that's tweet a very, this. very tricky question. Um, I think it, it's the same as always. Like, if you, you look at the fundamentals, um, yeah. I think Twitter has a lot of work to do. Um, apparently, like, that is also <laughs> what Elon Musk thinks. Um, yeah. Asking people to work long hours, um, and go hard or go home. 
Um, so yeah, it will will turn out like in the end. Honestly, you just hope for Morgan Stanley that they priced uh, their risk return profile correctly. Yeah. Um, but always, yeah. Like, let's see how how this turns out. Um, okay. If it was if it was your forty four billion dollars, would you put it in a Twitter? Um. So it's not a SaaS company. It's not a SaaS company. Okay, it's a moot question. Okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. It's really interesting. I mean, I I think when I look at the marketplace, like I look at bets, like Twitter, and also there was another company that I follow. I really like this company a lot, Twilio. Mm -hmm. And Twilio went public, I think, back in 2015. And I'm like, today would Twilio be able to go public? I don't think so. I don't, not as favorably, not as, as favorable terms in any case. And um, what's cool about it is that they did go public and a lot of people that made money there have gone on to start other companies. So in a way, it all feeds back into the tech ecosystem in a way. Yeah. What about um, corporate res and social responsibility? Um, now, you guys aren't communists. You're capitalists. You're, you're here to make money. But is that part of your... I mean, do you guys take a view or a stand on that? Or what's, what's the... Because next week, the reason why I'm asking you is this is on December 6th, we're having Rune the Thiel with Rockstart, which they've been very successful in doing startups that, that are able to do impactful innovation. And so I wanted to see what your take was, if, or if, if this was something you guys were interested in. No, I think it's very important. Um, this is also something we... We take serious in regards that often we are the first external funding partners for the companies we come in um, or when we come in. And was also part of our due diligence is we have created an ESG framework uh, to walk them through okay. um, to make them aware of certain areas they should, um, should be considering as they grow the company as well. I understand that it's hard if you just grow like from zero MRR to 100,000 MRR. It's a lot of work and you focus on a product and you just get, try to get in your first customers and everything. Uh, but as soon as yeah. you have reached a certain stage and you can actually afford to have the resources um, in the company that you say, okay, that, that's more than a project. That's actually a real, co a real company I'm building here. Um, we, we try to educate the entrepreneurs here and say, okay, listen, uh, your product is fantastic, but please consider also those ESG factors. Um, and also we, we, just give, we give them a guideline on, okay, look at those areas. Have you already done anything in those areas? And we once a year evaluate together with them uh, whether they made any improvements, um, where we can work together with them on those issues or I wouldn't call it issues, but at least, um, yeah, challenges and where they say, okay, yeah. we can have some, some impact here. Um, so that, that's definitely something that's very important in the growth stage. And that was also something we take very seriously. Yeah, I, I thought that was, um, that going back to Twitter, I'm not sure that this is a good thing for us to bring up, but it was interesting after he bought the company, seeing photos of people sleeping in their offices. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of cute, right? It's kind of funny, but, you know, something to understand. I don't know if, if, if you've never worked in the United States or another country that you're aware of this, but in the United States, people, a lot of people who do have the possibility to take vacation don't take vacation because they're worried about how they'll be perceived by their peers or that they even could be fired for taking vacation. 
so uh i think work culture is great and uh but it's it's also concerning when you see photos of people sleeping and um uh ray dalio who's a famous american billiard came out and said that the work ethic of europeans isn't as high as um as other countries and you know he's already a billionaire i think yeah he's made good money off of europe so yeah but i think it's it's all about um quality over quantity so yeah you having like great efficient um work hours i think it's fantastic at the same time you need some time off to recharge your batteries um yeah. get also you need also to get out in the world you need to explore to get like exposed to different views different opportun uh, opinions um, yeah. also cultures because I think that helps you in the end to put more effort and quality into the work and working hours you have um, mm -hmm. rather than working trying to work 100 uh, hours a week um, and then you're just like okay um, your brain is just gone uh, numb and actually yeah. like the work you do there in 10 hours you actually could have done in, uh, if you would have just taking the time off uh, to relax. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, we talk about work, but CEOs can't forget, they need to just be having regular conversations with their customers, happy customers, unhappy customers. I think uh, the, the most successful companies I see, their CEO always has the pulse uh, on sales and marketing just by having conversations with customers. Um, and that, that is work. But um, too often, that's the kind of work that gets lost in the shuffle because there's so many other things that are so demanding. Uh, Marcus, you're, you, where are you based? Uh, we're based in Vienna. You're, that's what I thought. Okay, so you're in Austria. And, and one of the things I wanted to touch on is, is Europe, across Europe, in the report I was showing you earlier. Yeah. Which, But, um, of course, there's tech ecosystems going across Europe, uh, across everywhere. What's happening in Vienna? What's happening in Austria? How are, how are things developing? So I think there, we're, there is a lot happening. So the ecosystem here is evolving uh, very good, uh, especially mm -hmm. the past couple of years. Uh, there are great organizations like Austrian startups who try to foster entrepreneurship already in schools um, and then also throughout universities um, to really bring this, you, you call in the beginning, uh, global problem-solving culture uh, already in the minds uh, of the people at a very young age and try mm -hmm. to foster um, the, the spirit across the country. Um, and the, but this takes time to develop, but also there now you have seen in the past two years, uh, there were the first unicorns in Austria uh, with GoStudent and uh, Bitpanda. Um, and there, there's a lot of things happening here. I think a lot of talent is coming to Vienna. Vienna is one of the most livable cities uh, in the world, uh, which it just can, um, can say it's true. Like I'm originally from Germany, uh, having lived in, in Hong Kong, Cape Town, also in Zurich, it, it, I just think like Vienna is, is amazing uh, and the quality of living you, you get here. Um, and I think this, this is bringing more and more people to the city. It has about 2 million inhabitants and also Austria in general, they have this very strong um, yeah, school system, education system. And mm -hmm. 
there are more and more people coming up with trying to solve problems um, and building companies, also regulatory. There has been some changes, uh, so it's easier to, to fund company, uh, to found a company. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of support here also uh, from, from the government side. So you get a lot of, there are many opportunities to get grants uh, to start your company. So I think the, the Austrian ecosystem is, is evolving a lot. And we also see yeah. from our side uh, as, as an investor, we see more and more opportunities uh, here in Austria where companies, soft as a service companies especially, grow to three, five, uh, sometimes even above 10 million in AR. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's a very interesting, very interesting environment currently. I think we were talking about uh, flight to quality. And so investors are, are going towards quality companies. But it's the same thing. Now that more and more, there's more and more remote workers. I think like it's really interesting time to start a company. Like A lot of companies are saying, okay, we're mostly remote company. And then they can go hire top talent. So if you're an Austrian company and maybe uh, you speak English, but English isn't your first language, you can go find an English marketer who can work remotely and help your company grow faster. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot of disruptive things that happen on the growth side. You mentioned in schools they're teaching, teaching entrepreneurship. At what levels is that happening? At what, at what ages is, is that starting at? So actually, very, very young. There's actually also university for children. I think kids around five, six years old. Yeah. So at a very young age. That's amazing. Um, in the U.S., we, we start a lemonade stand when we're little kids and we sell lemonade. Yeah. Uh, that's like kind of like a tradition how we learn about capitalism. Um, so that's great. It, um, it's capitalism on the one hand side, but it's also problem solving on the other. If you have a person who is thirsty and is fancying a lemonade. Yeah. It's just, I think it's a great way to, to teach children if you are able to solve a problem and uh, for, for other people, um, th then it's a great thing. Um, yeah. And then uh, if you can make a living out of it, it's even better. And if you're able to scale this uh, almost unlimited uh, because you have really great unit economics, even better. Um, so, and I think it's, if you get this understanding early on, how how you can solve problems and by solving problems you can create value for others uh, i think that's a very very great thing yeah that's that's interesting that's great that they're able to integrate that at the school level um and figure out how to do that there's a really interesting um in france we have french tech which is kind of a an the French government uses that to boost the technology sector, uh, and they're very active. And, and Austria, is there the equivalent, the Austrian equivalent? Uh, I don't know French tech, to be honest, uh, but I would say here okay. uh, it's similar to, to AWS, uh, not to confuse with Amazon Web Services. Um, <laughs> but yes, so they... They uh, support a lot of companies here and like they give out these grants and they have a very supportive ecosystem, created a very supportive ecosystem over the past couple of years. Yeah. Also on, on the re more regional levels, um, there are also like states also have programs to, to foster entrepreneurship and support 
the the startup environment. Austria is is kind of a federal country. There's the different states yes. that break out, like Germany. Correct. But you also have different programs at the state level. Well, listen, I think it's really interesting. Um, any of our audience out there interested in alternative revenue models, I recommend that you go take a look at Round 2 Capital Partners. Uh, Marcus Elmer here, who is on LinkedIn, would be happy to tell you about it. So if you have any questions. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today. I, th I think it's really interesting because, you know, this is part of the development of this whole tech SaaS ecosystem is that the more financing there is out there, the more different things out here. And I think this puts the onus even more on people growing responsibly. And what I like about this is it also kind of puts on the investors to be more responsible. I think some of the tech implosions we've had from the dot-com and even 2009 were sometimes the investors being too greedy and investing in companies with you know, shady unit economics, for lack of a better term. Uh, and I think this is going to put the onus on them of being more responsible and, and, and trying to grow their, grow their own portfolios more responsibly um, and not just throwing money at the problem. Like you were saying, just saying, hey, 10% of our companies are going to make better money. We don't care which ones we invest in after that. I don't think that kind of shotgun uh, strategy is necessarily good for them or good for the market. I, I like what you guys are doing. Um, thank you so much, Marcus. Yeah, thank you for having me, Steve. Um, pleasure talking to you. And I think also, um, yeah, very, very great discussion. So hopefully see you okay. soon again. And well, good. I'm going to be contacting you. I'm going to try and get someone from uh, Austrian tech, AW, the Australian yeah. tech environment on and talk about what's going yeah. on there. Thank you so much. Thank again. you, Steve. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, interesting guy. Uh, really interesting marketplace right now. Uh, and so much happening. There's, um, as I said, I know we're not supposed to ever admit that we um, don't know everything that's going on, but I didn't even understand about this marketplace. Um, Really only started since 2018. Uh, I met one of the CEOs from another company uh, and they were in Austin and they were going back gangbusters. And so this kind of movement to bootstrap your own company and drive uh, responsible growth and then go, don't even give up part of the company, go uh, build your company uh, using future, you know, promises against promissory notes against news. Um, it really, I mean, talk about to your team. You're like, hey, we get to keep everything if we can keep our train burn rate down and we can customers. We can keep everything. We can all go retire to Bali um, and then go do projects. Listen, again, uh, our hours are changing. So next week on December 6th, we'll be on at 6 p.m. We are going to have Rune Thiel. I'm really excited about this. This is part of our impact series that we do. And so he's, he's going to be talking to us about entrepreneurship and sustainability. This is one of the things that excites me most about our industry um, is that while it ha started in Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, these values, how we think, culture has spread around the world. I've seen this with Indian people, uh, Australian people, all these different people of different backgrounds, but they all think the same race, religion, sex. It doesn't matter. They all think the same. And I think that our world needs more of this. Um, and I guess it's kind of why, uh, I think that like the Olympics, this should be used to federate people. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment on what happened at slush recently. They had a award winner who was from 
Three was favored and they pulled the award. Not sure that was a good idea, but I don't know. I'm not an expert. Say anything more than that. I just wish that we could. Together. In any case, thank you very much. Room Thiel on entrepreneurship and sustainability on December 6th at 6 p.m. Uh, this is really all I got for you today. Oh, tonight uh, I'm going to be talking um, with, uh, I'm going to do a webinar with uh, Upflowy. Um, really looking forward to this. Uh, and so if you have a chance, please come on. It's going to be at 9 p.m. Central Eastern Time. It's three growth wins with Upflowy. Uh, and um, should be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time, December 6th at 6 p.m.